I like that. I like that. Seeing that, Gary. <laughs> good morning. Hey, good morning. Hey, guys. Sorry we're a few minutes late. We had some tech issues, but we're here and you're here. Make sure to like Bold TV on Facebook. Even more important, put your comments and your questions here. Uh, so excited to be here with Clay Aiken. It's a good, it's a good uh, Memorial Day weekend episode we've got for you. I think it's a one. I think it's our biggest day. Yeah. We've got a huge. It's huge. We got Deepak Chopra on his new book, You Are the Universe. And then we've got a congresswoman who is a member of the House Intelligence Committee. So we've got some great guests lined up. So you don't want to miss this whole conversation. Be sure to add your thoughts, questions, and we will throw them into the mix. We're going to jump a little bit differently. We're going to format the show a little bit differently because we're so lucky to have Deepak Chopra with us today. Uh, that we're going to start with that. We'll do our headlines later yeah, in the day. Carrie? We're starting with our bookster segment. Yes. So Sarah Hill is back as usual All every right. week with an amazing new book. Yes. Uh, and so this week, What'd we are bring? so excited. Yes. We brought Dr. Chopra here today. So um, We really need to know introduction. Yeah, really <laughs> no introduction. Chopra. So Chopra. Oprah was married to me, she'd be Oprah. Oh, Chopra. oh yeah, there's <laughs> an idea for yeah. you right there. Wow, Thank what you. kind of child would that be? That would be like oh my God. basically God? Yeah, I think so. I think so. But you've got Actually, a whole bunch. Everybody's God in drag. In drag. God in drag. There you go. <laughs> I never, I never didn't, I didn't know I did drag, but now I guess I do. Now you should. <laughs> yes, I'm already. This I'm already. Musk. already. That's true. It you've is. Got, yeah, you've that's got true. Um, a whole bunch of things uh, that you um, are going around talking about, getting ready for right now. You've got this book, You Are the Universe. You've got some other things coming up. Why don't you tell us what's keeping you busy right now first? Actually, I'm never busy. It's only my body that goes through the motions. Yes, well, <laughs> I just watch the show. So, what's on the show? A lot of things. Uh, I'm trying to see how we can um, pick up our visitors' badge in the insane asylum that we call <laughs> America. <the world>. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, right now, everywhere the world. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm focused on how could we have a critical mass of consciousness that would move us in the direction of uh, peace, um, social justice, economic justice, sustainability, health, happiness, joy, but on a massive scale. Yeah, so kind of superficial stuff you got there. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know. We need to be bold, and we need to reach at least a billion people by being bold. Otherwise, we're just kind of, as they say, pissing in the ocean. How do you think that we can reach a billion people? Through media, through conversation, through social networks, through education, through movies, through music, through uh, universities, through books, media, through guys like you. Media, though, in the past, well, I'd just say several years, but really in the past several, in the past year or so especially, has become even more vitriolic and people are so much more, there's so much more opposition what causes it and what that, fixes it? That kind of media is kind of slowly becoming a dinosaur. It's old. This is media right now. You know, we are the media. And uh, we have a different agenda. It's not about taking sides. It's not about polarizing opinion. It's about how can we collectively create a more peaceful, just, sustainable, healthier, and joyful world, period. Absolutely. Deepak for president. Yeah. Like, <laughs> absolutely. Well, and I know you you just did a comedy bit uh, where you had uh, an interview with a Donald Trump of sorts on Comedy Central uh, where you basically told him that you love him. Well, because people like uh, 
our current president need uh, empathy, compassion, love. And uh, actually, he's in a way our teacher because he represents uh, what psychologists call our shadow self, the part that we are all embarrassed about. So he brings it out, you know, he brings the shadow out on a collective level. And the shadow is a very interesting part of every human being. It's that part uh, which says, you're ignoring me, and uh, if you continue to ignore me, then uh, I'll embarrass you. So he's our collective embarrassment. Well, and do you think part of that was the failure of the media to uh, to acknowledge the people who supported him and voted for him? Because that was one thing people said about. Yeah, the Donald I think Trump the voters. worst thing that uh, uh, was done by the liberal media, so-called liberal media, was to call his supporters deplorables, and I think uh, that triggered the whole anger and the outrage that resulted in. <laughs> what I think because is that, a that bit of a disaster. It was yeah. dehumanizing them. Yes. What what fixes it though? I mean, you know, I know you say the media, but but individuals who are watching this show or individuals who watch the the my, mainstream, widespread broadcast type media aren't really able to. You know, they can't start their own. They don't necessarily start their own podcast. They don't start their own web series. Um, how? Do, what do we need to do in our daily lives to try to make sure that we're not growing more and more? As a, as a collective consciousness, we need to ask ourselves every day a little bit of reflection. Who are we? What do we want? What's our purpose? What do we do on a daily basis to manifest the dream that we have for ourselves, for our families, for our communities? for the world. What kind of world do we want to live in? What kind of world do we want our children and their children to live in? And what are we doing on a daily basis in every conscious choice that we make that actually represents our vision? Otherwise, we're just attacking each other, including me. I mean, I love to go out on shows and uh, have been kind of, uh, in a way, um, attacking, uh, but in a uh, hopefully not a mean-spirited way. What, ab oh, what about when two visions collide? Like, say that Clay has one vision of something that he wants for himself, and I want the exact opposite. So, you know, don't say I, say we. What do we want? Uh, because there's no I. The I is a representation of the we. The individual I is just a one representation of the collective we. Every thought you have is a result of hundreds of, if not thousands of years of conditioning. And uh, what happens, we recycle that on and on and on and on. The same wars, the same terror, the same social injustice. Well, and uh, I think that's a perfect segue to talk specifically about your book, um, You Are the Universe. We have a video that explains a little bit. Let's play that video. We got that queued up, guys? This is science which is based on subject-object split. That consciousness is a byproduct somehow produced by the brain. The problem with that is that all our science has also created climate change, atomic weapons, destruction of ecosystem, and now risking our own extinction. If there is going to be another extinction, it will be the gift of a science that is incomplete. 
science that doesn't answer questions of why you have meaning or imagination or creativity. In fact, science discounts all those things. At some point, you've got to say, what's the fundamental nature of reality? Are we just an accident on a small planet, a speck of dust in the junkyard of infinity? Or are we indeed the universe looking at itself? Whew. Wow, Mind so on. beautiful. Gorgeous. <laughs> and we got a, co a comment here from Catherine Kinder. She says, good morning from Illinois. Dr. Chopra has helped me and many others get through these difficult times. Thank you. So, Catherine, uh, but what I love about this book is that I think you take to task a lot of the, the, the scientific, scientific kind of establishment and say they're becoming as dogmatic as sort of religions were in the past. So can you talk about that sort of dogma in terms of the current science community? Yes, there's science and there's scientism, two different things. So science is a methodology and it's an amazing methodology for looking at what we call facts, okay? And science is based on theories which are, of course, conceived in our own consciousness, experiments, which are, of course, designed in our own consciousness, and then observations, which are also made in our own consciousness. And so science creates a map for what reality is. It's not, it's not reality, but a good map, because with that map, we can create technologies. Scientism, on the other uh, hand, is the idea that science is a method for knowing the truth, the truth is much more elusive. The truth is not this experience we're having right now because this experience will be gone in 15 minutes. Of course, it might live on the internet for a while, but every experience arises and subsides in your own being, in your own consciousness. And your consciousness is the only constant in every experience. You say, I had Chinese dinner yesterday. I was a child, I was a baby. I'm a doctor, I am having um, distress, I'm in love. I is the only constant. Nobody asks who that I is, and especially science. So science is incomplete because it only looks at that which we observe, never asking who's the observer and why does the observer want to know what he or she or it wants to know? Who is it that wants to know? And everything that we know is in our own awareness. So we use words like book, like, uh, uh, you know, coffee cup or microphone. These are words that describe modes of knowing and experience. And unless you ask who's having the experience, the universe is an experience. It's not a thing, okay? And how do you experience the universe? As sensations in your own body. Um, sense perception, sound, touch, sight, taste, and smell, as feelings, emotions, and as thoughts. This is the raw material of experience that we ultimately end up calling mind, body, universe. I think science, some scientists would argue that part of the, part of the defense against this experience and, and the individualism that I think you might mention comes along with some science is the fact that a lot of studies are double-blind and that they use a whole bunch of different people to 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 try to eliminate that. Is, is that is that a solution for for this uh, hurdle that you say science may have? No, no, no. Science is a very good methodology for a certain aspect of reality. 
but talk to a theologian and they'll say, my map is also good. Talk to somebody who's uh, uh, a religious person, they'll say, you haven't actually uh, engaged in self-reflection and meditation and prayer and a deeper understanding of the self. My map is good too. But what I'm saying is no system of thought, religion, theology, philosophy, or science has access to truth. Only you, as awareness, have access to truth. Awareness is the fundamental ground of all experience. You're not your body. Your body is an experience in you. You're not your mind. Your mind is an experience in you. You're not the universe, even though that's the title of my book. (laughs) The universe is an experience in you. So you have to see what is this you in which this, this, all this is an experience. Unless you go there, and that's not a system of thought, that's transcendence of thought. So you're telling me that there is such thing as alternative facts? Is that what you're trying to say? <laughs> well, that, someone, uh, <laughs> M- Melissa Pollack says, yeah, because how is what he's... Yeah, modes of knowing using the same process. You mentioned double-blind studies. So facts are modes of knowing using the same process. They're intersubjective knowing in waking state of consciousness. Can I ask, how does this relate to time? In the, deep that's a now, too. in the deep now, there is no time. Okay. Time happens as soon as there's differentiation between observer and observed. So let me explain that. We said in that video, we are the universe looking at itself, right? This is, this is the observation deck for the universe to experience itself, particularly this, right? The brain. So um, you can say very clearly that as soon as the differentiation, me and other, me and the universe, me and everything else, time is born. But when you transcend me as the other, because me and the other, me and all of us, are an experience in the same deep now, at all times. Okay, so my mind is completely blown. So I'm gonna let Joanne Lopez, (laughs) who's talking to us on Facebook, who's watching us on Facebook, uh, speak for me. She said, I have so much respect for Dr. Chopra, but as a mere mortal, will I be able to understand you are the universe? Actually, you will be. And what you have to do is start every day with uh, a little bit of reflection and stillness. Close your eyes, put your attention here, ask yourself, who am I? without this name and this form, because this form is constantly changing, right? This form was a baby, teenager, (laughs) this mind, yeah? So who am I? Ask yourself and then listen to your own self. Ask yourself, what do I really want from my life? Ask yourself, what is my purpose? Ask yourself, even more important, what am I grateful for? And if you're not grateful or surprised by the fact that you exist, then you've never had a spiritual experience. Spirituality is to be totally bewildered and to be totally astonished. Well, I am definitely that. that, Well, then that's it. You know, there's a poem of Rumi, it says, exchange your cleverness for your bewilderment. Oh, I love that. I'm going to tattoo with that. (laughs) (laughs) Carry with a tattoo. (laughs) Only that one. So, but Deepak, I got to challenge you. We we got a commenter here on Facebook. Melissa Pollack says, how is what he has to say anything different from fake news? And I know you wrote this book with a world famous physicist and a scientist. Um, 
and and some people say oh you know Deepak he's just sort of got his head in the clouds like but what I love about your book is that you 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 look at the science and you have a co-author who understands physics and yeah no no my co-author is a quantum physicist and a cosmologist and as actually a climate change expert uh, but that's not even important. She has a perspective, and she has a legitimate perspective in that everything that we say, any one of us, comes from our own conditioning. And the conditioning is deep. It's religious conditioning, economic conditioning, um, uh, conditioning by history, by our parents, by our education. So in the deeper reality, in the deeper reality, there is either no point of view or all points of view. And when you're open to that, then actually you're not dogmatic about anything. I have a That's question. what leads to creativity. Do wow. you should be in a presidential debate. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's like the best answer. Do you think um, that every person has a purpose? So when they're asking themselves, when they have that silent time, if we only got that every day, where they're quiet, looking internally, forgetting about their external distractions, and they find something there. Do you think that that's their purpose? Or how does somebody find their purpose if they don't know what it is? Well, there are many ways. So, you know, Joseph Campbell had a famous phrase, follow your bliss. Ask yourself what would make you happy. Uh, ask yourself, does your career, your job, and your calling. Calling is uh, when you commit yourself to something bigger than yourself. If your job is what you're doing today, career is over a long time, but calling is what your contribution is to the world, then when they're in alignment, you'll find your purpose. I frequently ask people, what would you do if you had all the money in the world and all the time in the world, and how would that change people's lives, and would you be having fun? If you can answer that, you found your purpose. That's great. And Deepak, you know, talking about purpose and meaning, I. In this country, we have a major problem right now with opioid addiction, where we see the deaths are skyrocketing. Uh, I think the Wall Street Journal just reported that there are more deaths now than uh, the AIDS crisis, or it's comparable to the AIDS crisis of the 1980s. So the addiction and, and, and people who are looking to substance uh, for relief, why do you think we're seeing this growth, and what would you advise for people who are dealing with these issues? I've always thought of addiction as a substitute for the ecstasy or exaltation of our spirit. So I find that actually addicts are very spiritual people. They're just using the wrong means to get to that experience that we all look for. The word ectasis comes from uh, to step out, step out of this so-called world of space-time and causality and transcend to who you are really are as a spiritual being who's having a human experience. And, uh, you know, if you look at addicts, that's what they want. When people are uh, ecstatic uh, dancing, that's what they're experiencing, or music, or poetry, or in nature, or when they fall in love. Even sexual ecstasy is a part of this deep yearning that we all have to know who we are uh, as timeless spiritual beings. So I have deep empathy for people who have uh, addictive tendencies. And uh, actually, uh, we treat people with addictive behavior. Unfortunately, the opioid uh, epidemic is caused by medical doctors. You know, 
there are prescription drugs, of course, now they're available, but that's, there are more people dying of uh, addictive substances prescribed legally than those obtained illegally. So I think, one, it's the responsibility of physicians and healers and people in the medical profession to see what are people really looking for and how do we give that to them so, you know, it doesn't become an epidemic, which it has become, unfortunately. Uh, Sarah, you bring in so uh, such a variety of different <laughs> authors and books. Why does why does this one, to, in your in your opinion, why is it a book that books to readers your, that your audience would really uh, like? Well, first of all, thank you. I really appreciate that, um, and thanks for giving me the opportunity to do that for our books to viewers out there. Um, you know, I think that something that we do for Bookster and something that I saw very early on in books is that you can provide people no matter where they are some inspiration in what they're doing and I think that Dr. Chopra does that very well um, you know you can't always uh, you can't help your circumstance but you can go to a library read a book and do things that will help enlighten you in some way shape or form and so I think that um, because of that it just made sense for us and you've and you've you've made a you've made a life out of doing that, Carol, uh, uh, bringing that to people. Carol Brady says, "I feel." She's watching on Facebook. She says, "I feel exponentially more calm right now." <laughs> you know, and I don't know if people notice. I kind of am too. Yeah. Just <laughs> being around you, gives, I need I need you to just come hang out with the me for most, an hour a day. The most important thing you can do for yourself is calm down. Is and for the world, is to be present. That's what calmness is. It's just not to be distracted, it's to be present. The most important task at hand is right now. The most important people are the ones in front of you right now. And the most important to create a better future is to be present now. Because if you're always thinking about the future, when it finally arrives, you won't be present for it. And that's what we do. We do that all the time. Yes. Both of us yes. have our cell phones here. Yeah. We've yeah. got this. I mean, Just that's be present. It's, it's so difficult. It's very important. How do you how do you stay present and still think about things like the universe and um, you know how things happen? How do you maintain that? When you're in that? that state of presence, which I also call choiceless awareness, then the universe downloads itself without the filter of thought. You know, it's the filter of thought that separates us from the universe. But when you just accept this moment as it is, without resistance, without regrets, without anticipation, just this moment with no resistance, it's joyful. Well, and Deepak, I, I've, I know that you meditate two hours every morning. Like, or you meditate every morning when you wake up. Like, how do you do that? Because you've got this media empire, you've got a lot of influence, you've got a business. Like, thoughts are, I can imagine, would be racing through most people's heads. So how do you physically wake up in the morning and just center yourself and, and sit there in a room quietly? You're trying to get advice. I've done it, <laughs> I've done it now for several decades, almost 30 years. So it's a ritual for me, and it's the only important thing in my day. The rest is like a breeze. So I'm having a good time right now. And I'm enjoying myself because of the ritual that I went through this morning. Is like a and, so I'm and we say that, and, right and they now. say that a lot of the most and, successful and people in in politics and business, Bill Clinton, I know, is one of them. That has that they meditate every morning. I mean, it's part of the it's part of the. Yeah. Uh, he has the three, three secrets people. to uh, um, absolutely amazing life. Number one, be present. 
Check. The only time is now. <laughs> Number two, be warm, friendly, because oh, only through so connecting by other people <laughs> will you know yourself. And number three, be independent of the good and bad opinions of the world. Oh, that's, that's, that one down pat. The second one I'm working on. That's stoicism. That's mm -hmm. stoicism. And anybody who knows me knows I'm obsessed with the Stoics and yes. stoicism. That was my, that was yes. my birthday yes. present from Carrie. If, if, if you're offended by every good or bad thing that is said, then you'll be offended for the rest of your life and you will never have true self-esteem. You'll only be subject to the whims and fancies of the opinions of the world. You'll be at the mercy of every stranger on the street. Mm -hmm. got rhino skin, doctor. I'm set. <laughs> Maritza Puello. 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 I'm going to say Puello. Puello. I don't know if she says that, but we'll see. Put us in the comments how you pronounce it. Maritza Puello, she's going to wrap it up for us. Thank you, Deepak. And then I messed it up for sharing your knowledge and wisdom. Very needed at this time, very needed at this point in our life and our history and our country and our world. So thank you very much for being with us today. Thank, thank you, Sarah Hill, as always, for yeah, being here you. with us. Something fascinating and interesting. You can get You Are the Universe wherever books are sold. So check that out. Um, and uh, we'll see you next week, uh, Sarah. Sounds great. Thank, thank you very you. much. Thank you. Thank you very much. Namaste. Namaste. Thank you. Do you feel? Do you? I do. I do feel like there's more. That there's a little so more centered. calmness and yes. in the room today, which we need to be honest with you today, Bold. After after he leaves next week, I'm always going to sit in that chair, just so you guys Cause know, because it's got his molecules in it. Uh, Sultan is back with us, um, and so is Jeffrey Ringel. He's a former FBI agent. Uh, they're joining us now to talk about all the big news of the week. We're doing the show a little bit in in reverse order than we have in the past, but uh, uh, yeah. we'll have plenty of time now to let let the conversation um, get lively. Jeffrey uh, Ringel, he's a 21-year-old vet. 21-year-old. 21-year-old, yeah, that, that would be nice. Card year. that man, card that yeah. man. 21-year veteran of the FBI, and he's now the director of the uh, Sufan Group. Sufan, did I say that right? Sufan. Sufan Group. Um, and, of course, Oz Sultan is back with us. He's um, a counterterrorism counter analyst, and you were a Trump campaign uh, advisor and surrogate. Welcome, both of you, for being here. Um, Big week this week for a number of reasons. Um, obviously, the, there continue to be continues to be news in this uh, in this Rus Russia investigation collusion uh, mm -hmm. accusations. I guess are being thrown around um, uh, between the Trump campaign and the Russian government, uh, uh, and also the the Trump campaign and a tr Trump administration has, in a way, been able to avoid that a little bit because they've been out of the country some. But we've had uh, news this week drop that uh, allegedly. Jared Kushner is a focus of the um, investigation for possible contacts with Russia. What kind of contacts could Jared Kushner have had with Russia that we should be concerned about, Jeffrey? Well, I just want to say from an investigative point of view, this is not unusual. Um, the first investigation was into General Flynn, and so anybody who was associated with General Flynn, of course, is going to be talked to, and Kushner probably had relations with, with General Flynn. And uh, as part of an investigation, you're going to go out and talk to anybody who uh, may have been at the meetings or may have talked to General Flynn. So, so, I mean, just the fact that they're talking to him, and it's been pointed out that he's not the subject of the investigation, but that uh, the FBI is a now going to focus, focus, is going to focus yeah. on him. That's, that's not unusual. So they will eventually focus on other people is what you're... I, I, I'm, they, they should talk to everybody and anybody who's had contact with General Flynn or were, were at the meetings or may have been part of any meetings where things were discussed. That's part of the investigation. You want to talk to everybody who could be a witness, who can provide information to support the investigation. Uh, some people will be uh, continual 
to be investigated because they may be something worth investigating and other people are just going to be washed out. Oz, um, Michael Flynn uh, used the Fifth Amendment, took the Fifth Amendment, pleaded, did, pleaded the Fifth Amendment uh, this earlier week, this week um, uh, with regard to some of the, the requests, the subpoena, the requests that were um, made of him by uh, the Senate Intelligence Committee. Mm -hmm. um, how does that jive for the president with his statements uh, earlier in, or last year uh, over some of the people in Hillary Clinton's campaign or her, her State Department uh, pleading the Fifth over some of the accusations against her? Well, I think we're looking at two things right now. One is that there was an FBI dossier that was made public uh, that was basically information that the Obama administration had been gathering on the Trump campaign, people in the Trump campaign. And the opposite side of this, they're, they're basically weighing the, the pluses and minuses because this is all going to be about the Logan Act, right? Acting uh, as if you were in the capacity of uh, some sort of State Department negotiator. Um, and I think it'll be interesting to see how this all plays out. So how did that answer my question? <laughs> Donald Trump <laughs> Donald Trump accused some of the people at Hillary Clinton's uh, State Department of pleading the fifth, therefore they must be guilty of something. Uh, numerous of his tweets have, have haunted him over the past few days because of things that he tweeted about this person uh, in Hillary's, Hillary's State Department um, pleading the fifth. Michael Flynn does the same thing this week, and, and that does not seem to be an issue for Trump or for uh, the people in his orbit was, that he pleaded the fifth. Uh, that was a very ugly campaign cycle, as you're aware, on both sides of the House. I do know that. Yeah. So what so, you're saying is he I, didn't I, mean it back then? No, I think a lot of it was rhetoric. You know, I mean, you're not necessarily, you are coming from the private sector. You know, you're not necessarily involved in government at that point in time. I think it was, it was cavalier, but I think it was an opportunity for him to throw those types of statements out. Now what he's looking at is, did someone who's in my court or who was in my court actually do something wrong. Um, and I think they're taking this rather seriously. And if he didn't do anything wrong, why would he plead the fifth? What, what, what was the purpose of that? I can't really tell you what's going through Mike Flynn's mind. All right. Well, let's try something different. Okay. Uh, well, something that we tried last week, and I, I think that you guys enjoyed it. So uh, we're going to go to our rose-colored glasses right, segment. So uh, as you remember, Am each of us... Uh, yes, we okay, want to go okay. to our guests. So, okay. so we do this thing called rose-colored glasses, where I bring a clip and Clay brings a clip, and then we both—it's almost like an ink block test—to say, you know, the, here's what I take from it, and here's what Clay takes from it, and we want you guys to do that as well. So, I brought my clip. Uh, let's roll that first. So we got that queued up, and let's pray to God that we got audio. <laughs> by this torrent of leaks that seem to be coming from... Very troubled. John McCain is right. Uh, leakers should be prosecuted. The Justice Department should go after leakers. We have enough statutes to prosecute them. And this climate of partial leaking is even worse because then there are selected quotes and you can make anything seem true. So that's Jane Harmon. And if you're not familiar with her, she is a Democratic Congresswoman and for a long time... Or former, sorry, yes. Former, uh, and for a long time, she was uh, a chief on the Intelligence Committee in the House. So she's got impeccable credentials. Uh, you know, she's someone who understands intelligence. And so for her to say this is a big problem with leakers and that we need to go after them, I think that should be incorporated as we're talking about all this, this circumstantial evidence that's coming out against Trump is that clearly people have an ax to grind here. Um, and so I, I want to get your thoughts. If you can tell us, you know, as a, as a member, Jeffrey, uh, with the FBI, why is there so much leaking happening, and what would be sort of the, the the practice to make sure that this stops? 
Well, my, my answer is not going to indicate in any way, shape, or form that being a former member of the FBI, that the FBI is the source of the leak, and I just want to get that out. Sure. Uh, especially after the problems in uh, Manchester, mm -hmm. where information was leaked. But uh, the FBI would probably be the lead agency on investigating the leak. And, um, you know, I, I agree with that statement that leaking little bits of information or leaking uh, private conversation, it ruins the cooperation that is being formed between either the team or between investigators or whatever. And so uh, it, it does need to be addressed. And especially when you're put in a position of authority and a position of trust, um, in, such as a member of the government, you, you shouldn't violate that trust. And when you do, you should be prosecuted. I agree with that. I mean, I think we've got a gigantic problem and a gigantic challenge, and this goes all the way back to January. You had leaks coming out of the White House. You had Trump putting tests forward to kind of figure out what's going on. And if you look at where most of the Trump landing teams ended up, you've got a lot of infighting going on right now in between the old Obama administration folks and the new appointees and the new landing teams. And then you add to this uh, the fact that a lot of the folks that we've been wanting to get into EU Parliament, to some of these additional roles, haven't really been vetted yet. And I've brought this up before. I think the biggest challenge that you're dealing with here is, one, how do we find these leaks? And two, how do we shore this up? Because this is hampering our counterterrorism efforts, and this is hampering our relations internationally. Do... Okay, well, so, so if we're doing rose-colored glasses, I guess my thought, my point here was to, my purpose here is to give my reaction to that uh, video more than ask a question. I don't think that there are, I watched the, I've watched the clip, and I don't disagree. I'm curious as to what she said after the clip cut off, because I feel like there's probably at some point, <laughs> or should have been at some point, um, an extension that says these leaks are a huge issue that should be addressed and they should stop. However, they shouldn't distract from the fact that, that that what's being leaked is important to investigate as well. And to me, the discussion about leaks is simply, it's sort of the equivalent of saying, yeah, I, I did something wrong, but you should go get on him because he tattled. And the, the truth is, if there, if there is something worth leaking, sorry, I don't think that's a good way to say it. If there's something that is substantive that is leaked, it, uh, the fact that there, it was leaked is not necessarily a larger crime than the thing that was leaked in the first place. I don't know that there are many progressives who would say, oh, by all means, we don't need to worry about these leaks. They are an issue with national defense. They have hurt our relationships with, they came very close to hurting our relationship with mm -hmm. the UK uh, this week. Um, but those are a issue that should be addressed. And so are some of the things that are being leaked to the press, things that need to be addressed. And I would also make the argument that if I were a person who was good at leading my group, leading my team, staffing my people, um, that I probably wouldn't have those types of issues because I would have a little bit more control over my administration. I'm not saying that Donald Trump doesn't, but I do think that the argument that there are Obama people there who are clashing with the Trump people is in large part because the Trump people haven't replaced those Obama people. I mean, many of those they, Obama they're people... They're not approved yet. A lot of them aren't approved yet. But a lot of them haven't been appointed either. So there's a lot of stuff there. There are a lot of things that could be done to fix this, um, many of those many of those leak issues need to be handled at the administrative level of those departments mm -hmm. that may or may not be leaking them. I think Congress has a role in trying to help, you know, investigate that as well. But there is an administrative issue also with the White House that could help 
that could help change some of that as well. Do you disagree with that? Well, I'd say there's there's one other issue that you should look at, and that's the speed of which information is coming out, right? So if, if you were to go back even 10 years, um, I mean, the speed at which some of this information came at you was slower. It was easier to classify this stuff. It was easier to make sure that's protected information that's not going to be shared. You're now looking at very rapid fire pace, especially with Manchester. You know, there was... There were a couple of witch hunts that started on the internet. Um, it, it's it's almost like some of the Reddit stuff that had happened after the Boston bombing, right? And so there's a lot of people running in a lot of different directions in the civilian world, in the information world, uh, in the defense world. I think there's also problems there as well. And so it's to your point, yeah, we definitely do need to prosecute and, and find who these leakers are and stop that process. Um, and I think it definitely needs to be on the administrative level. Um, but I think we're also looking at uh, a state of the world right now where it is far more information in a much faster pace, and we're going to have to figure out new protocols how to deal with that. So Pamela on Facebook says, is the administration actively trying to determine who is leaking? Certainly President Trump has said, yes, we're going to go after them. We're going to go after them forcibly. Um, Mickey, Alessia says. Know, but do we know that? But that, that's that's the question. They've said it, but there's a lot of stuff it. that he said that it's they haven't true. done. Do we know? That's true. Are they, is, there, is there a a task force that has been tasked with finding these leaks or are we, you know, are we doing I've not been asked to do it, so I don't right. know. <laughs> well, so like, I mean, in practice, though, like you said, the FBI would be the ones investigating it. How would something like that happen in terms of would we even know that they're being investigated? And this kind of goes back to the Manchester problem. That information shouldn't be released. Mm -hmm. Everybody doesn't need that information. I've said previously, information that was released, the name of the bomber, uh, the IED components, the general public doesn't need to see that. It means nothing to them. To the investigators, it means a great deal, because once they lose that element of surprise, they lose part of their investigative plan. And so um, if the FBI is looking into the leaking problem, the alleged leaking problem, um, Hopefully they're not publishing that, hey, we're looking at these 12 people, because then it gives those 12 people a chance to clean up their act, destroy evidence, or do whatever they need to do. So it, it could be done and should be done quietly. That's the way most investigations are done, quietly. Uh, nobody knows they're happening until, we knock, or until the FBI knocks on the door and brings in. And I would add to that, look back to San Bernardino and what happened there. You had protocols that were completely ignored and you had reporters storming through the house of you know the alleged bomber who they found out to be the the actual bomber and picking up you know, social security cards running around with after the search yeah after, I'm sorry it was after the search um, but but going through information that shouldn't be there so we've got a necessity I think of you know the the world at large to find out every single piece of information and that makes the media voracious on the opposite side of this I think we've got to figure out better ways to securitize this information because like you're saying none of this should have come out but this is but this is you you can't really do that necessarily i mean you almost admitted it because the press isn't going to be restricted from finding these things out unless the security service whoever that may be keeps that information to themselves no i mean they went through the apartment and that right but how did they right. find out who that person was well that, are you saying that we are well you that, that's not hard once 15 people show up knock down a door go through, you know, or search in the house. Everybody's going to know that. Uh, the only thing the law enforcement entity could have done at that point is really lock down the location. Police tape it. Nobody's allowed in. Anybody who goes past that police tape then is, you know, stepped into a crime scene. Because, Oz, the alternative would be telling the press they can't do X, Y, or Z, and that, that sort of 
That would certainly that would certainly meet with some constitutional uh, opposition, would you not think? Well, it's you know look at Patriot One and Patriot Two, and the question we have to ask ourselves is, we we have this fine line of balance in between necessarily needing to share all the information that we can in a timely fashion to all citizenry, and then the opposite side of this, making sure that we have enough security around what we're doing to ensure that we can prosecute these things and really stop uh, additional secondary bombers if they're there or if they're part of a cell um, or in the case that they're, they're part of some sort of communications network that's been operating on the internet. How do you make the argument though that, that there's any role for the government to play in what the press can and cannot do? I'm not necessarily making the role that they, they should be uh, playing in what the press can and cannot do, but I think there's there's a timeliness of releasing this information, and that there's protocols for access. You know, with San Bernardino, you, they shouldn't have been running through the apartment. With what's going on in Manchester, look at the number of fake press informational items that were out there, including secondary threats at a hospital. A, a lot of this stuff, you know, it's it's kind of figuring out what in this new day and age of terror is going to be the balance in between the relationship between the press and government. And I don't think we figured that out yet. Well, I want to talk, uh, Jeffrey, just because you have so much experience with the F FBI. So, uh, you know, this came up during the 2016, or uh, a couple years ago, um, PolitiFact, you know, put out this uh, statement saying that Obama has used the Espionage Act more than any other president in the past. So this, uh, you know, going after leakers is something that Obama certainly did as well, very aggressively, especially compared to the people before him. Right. Did you see that when you were at the FBI in terms of, do you think there was a culture of, of uh, you know, making sure that we're stopping the leakers? And did you see that ramp up under Obama versus other administrations? And, and I can't answer that because my specialty wasn't espionage or counterintelligence. I was a uh, counterterrorism. So another department would have handled that. And, and because we uh, compartmentalize our investigations, what I'm doing, not everybody in the FBI know, or knew and, and what other people are doing, I wouldn't know because I have no need to know. How many of these leaks though, that we've talked about recently have been leaks of information that would normally be classified FBI information. I mean, obviously the Manchester uh, stuff this past week was was I, security I, I, service information, but, but some of the stuff that we've heard has been, you know, the president said X, Y, or Z in the White House sure. meeting with so-and-so, or, I mean, not all of it has been, if not much of it has been leaks that would have come out of one of the uh, security agencies, FBI or CIA, are they? I don't think so, and I think with a lot of the leaks that are being talked about on the news now with what's being said within the White House, those are private conversations mm -hmm. within that working group. And going back to a point made earlier, you have to have the freedom to say what you want and say what you think needs to be said when you're with a working group. Again, there are no such things as dumb ideas, although sometimes there are. You want to throw everything out, and whatever sticks on the wall, then you're going to start looking at. And if every time somebody says something, someone else is writing it down and releasing it, and it makes people look silly or look bad, you know, that's going to hurt the cooperation and um, cohesiveness of that team. What would motivate someone to be a leaker? I mean, I don't imagine that anyone, certainly these leakers are not being paid. I don't know that for a fact, but I don't imagine that any of the news organizations are paying people to give them information. Um, so what would be the motivation for someone to share information with the press? Ha having been an FBI agent yeah, yeah. and taking my, my calling to heart, 
I, I don't know why anybody would um, violate that trust. Okay. Having said that, I'd imagine that there are some people with an axe to grind who want to push their political thought. But again, I, I'm just taking a stab. Uh, I don't have any firsthand knowledge. Clay, do you want to show your clip? Oh, I, we're, this rose-colored glasses segment is take your glasses out. Barely a rose-colored glasses segment anymore. Yeah, let's give let's give it a shot. What we got? I encountered and am aware of information and intelligence that um, revealed contacts and interactions between Russian officials and U.S. persons involved in the uh, Trump campaign. That. Um, <clears throat> I was concerned about because of known Russian efforts to suborn the, such individuals. And it uh, raised questions in my mind, again, whether or not the Russians were able to gain the cooperation of those individuals. I don't know whether or not such collusion, that's your term, such collusion existed. I don't know. But I know that there was a sufficient basis of information and intelligence that required further uh, investigation by the Bureau to determine whether or not U.S. persons were actively conspiring, colluding with Russian officials. So that was former CIA Director John Brennan, who was arguably the biggest fish to, to testify in front of one of these um, congressional committees investigating the relationship between the Trump campaign and, and Russia, if there was one. Um, he was very he was very precise in his wording, which I believed would lead me to believe as a viewer, and this is about my, how, I, how I took that clip, that he was exactly the opposite of what you suggested maybe someone would be. You know, John Brennan was not wording this in a way like he had an axe to grind. His, his statements were very carefully selected to not make accusations that weren't necessarily proven, but he did state that he had a personal concern about the relationship between the, the communication between the Trump campaign and Russia, and that he did believe, once again, that Russia brazenly tried to interfere with the election. That's sort of an issue that the Trump administration slash campaign has yet to be willing to admit to or at least accept that view that mm -hmm. of, of the CIA, now the CIA, uh, former CIA director, um, uh, all of the intelligence agencies saying that there is a boatload, essentially, that's not the quote, of evidence saying that the Russians tried to interfere in this election. As, as an American who actually knows Donald Trump and tries in every way possible to give him the benefit of the doubt, <laughs> I just don't understand why it would be, it would not be in the best interest of a president to say yes. There was interference. I don't believe it changed the outcome, but there was interference and we need to stop this from happening. But they haven't done that and there seems to be a very strong relationship between Trump and Russia now, steady on. Why? I think a lot of it is you're looking at different styles to start. So Obama had a style which was let's continually update people on what's going on. And I think he had different relations with a lot of these intelligence agencies. I think with Trump, it's still defining those relationships with these intelligence agencies. And reports are coming out saying that Russia has meddled in about 34 different countries. How uh, is elections. that an excuse for being okay with I mean, the bottom line is if Iran... If there was information that said Iran mm -hmm. was trying to, inv to meddle in U.S. elections and we had a, a 
evidence to show that Iran was meddling and trying to influence our election. I think most people would consider that an act of war. Certainly a president would consider that a country that we are not going to around with right now mm. because you're messing with our stuff. Why is it that we're okay with Russia doing it? And I just, don't think we're okay with it. I think what it well, is... We're, we're, we're chumming up with them in the, in the Oval Office. There's a difference in between looking at Syria and the fact that we do not have a significant presence more than about 7,500 troops on the ground that, that Russia is actually actively fighting ISIS and, and the need to securitize and solve the Syria situation. That's one thing. That's a lot of what they were talking about. The secondary effect of this is how do we manage those geopolitical relations with Russia, who has been an adversary ally for a long period of time? And thirdly, what exactly do we do from the fact-finding perspective? And I think that's what they're going through right now. It's, it's not just the agencies that are going through this, but I think Trump his camp, you've worked with him. You know, he, he's he's someone who's going to want to find out exactly what is going on, and if there's something. But he hasn't tried to. Do, okay, I'm, you're very. It's a very good thing that Dr. Chopra was here today because I'm very, <laughs> very thin. When normally I would want to react to that response with like, "What the hell?" It's. I think, I not, think they're being methodical about this, and I think they're taking. And I think they're taking. As someone who has worked with him, that is not a word I would ever use to describe well, Donald Trump. I your think, thoughts on the video? I think. Well, what that video showed was what you said, which was that there is no definitive proof that he is acknowledging at this point it is just speculation, that there are some legitimate questions that need to be answered. I totally agree with that. But at the same time, we in this country, we operate on the principle that you are innocent until proven guilty. Mm -hmm. And I think that a lot of people in the media are not doing that. And so as Americans, I hope that we can embrace our heritage of being, you know, open and understanding that people uh, are innocent until proven guilty. So that testimony, you know, I, I think it's just uh, an indication that we need to keep going. Let's, uh, you know, turn every stone, make sure that we're getting to the bottom of this. But at the same time, don't have this mass hysteria where people are saying the presidency's over and like, let's start talking to Orrin mm -hmm. Hatch because everyone's going to be implicated, including the, the vice president and the House Speaker, which is a big theory going out right now with Louise yeah. Mensch. I don't know. I don't Nobody's listened Louise. to that. Well, you just brought yes. more attention to it in the last Sorry. 20 seconds than it ever has had before. <laughs> but my, but does it not concern you? And I, and I want to bring uh, you in, Jeffrey. But does it not concern anyone? I don't disagree with anything you said. Innocent until proven guilty. Absolutely. But that there seems to be, and again, this is just my belief, but I think it is the belief and the, the perception that a lot of people in this country are getting that it's one thing to be innocent until proven guilty, and I, I'm all in agreement with that. And I think even uh, Congresswoman Sewell said the same thing in that interview. I assume she said it today. We couldn't hear what she said. But um, but there, it, it, it's a different thing when there seem to be active steps being taken by the person being investigated or by the group being investigated to stop the investigation from happening. Let's, you know, he, he told the head of the NSA to try to put pressure on Comey not to investigate, to, to drop this Flynn thing. He told Comey, I hope you'll drop this Flynn thing. Does that, what does that tell you, and, and I'm, I'm, if I'm asking you to speculate more than you want to, then I apologize, but as a former FBI uh, agent, when someone tries to tell you to stop doing, tries to lead you away from the, the, where you're trying to go, does that, how does that make you feel? What, does that give you pause? I would say it gives you pause. First, I'd like to comment on, on the statement from Director Brennan, which I thought was excellent. It was, he was very particular in what he said, and he basically, I think he tried to explain to the American people, 
I had concern, and so I did what I was supposed to do, and I turned it over to the FBI. Who's responsible to do the investigation? And the FBI will do the investigation. And, and so I thought that was very good. He, he, again, he didn't sort of jump on the bandwagon of there's something there. He just said, I have a concern. And it probably happens much more often than the American public needs to know because that's the, the way, you know, the organizations work. But going back to um, the, you know, the allegations and uh, President Trump's asking the other two directors to um, besmirge the, the FBI's reputation and allegedly asking Director Comey to stop the investigation or to slow it down. That's not good. And it's the cover-up is, is possibly worse than the crime. And you have to understand that the FBI needs to remain an independent, investigative arm of the government and not to be beholden to any one particular uh, party or government mm -hmm. in order to uphold the Constitution. And, uh, you know, to me, it was just, you know, one of the dumbest things in the world to do because the FBI, even when you take out the director, it's, it's an organization that will continue on. It's a train that's not going to stop. And they will continue the investigation following the leads that uh, are being developed by the evidence, which is one reason why they may be talking to um, uh, Kirshner now. But again, that's where the information's taken them. They'll interview him, they'll talk to him, and if nothing more is to be found, they'll close that and they'll move on to the next. I know we're going over, sorry, but is there is there a difference, I just want to know, is there a difference when we hear someone say the FBI's interested in just educate me. Is there a difference between hearing that and the and and Director Mueller's uh, investigation, or are they one and the same? Is Director Mueller essentially running an investigation within the FBI, or is that a separate, completely separate thing? I'm not 100 percent sure. I would assume that Director Mueller is going to take the FBI investigation and use that as the basis for their independent. But the counsel. FBI would then stop investigating because Director. I, Mueller I would think be those people, and again, I'm not sure how they're going to work, but I think those people would be seconded to the director, Director Moeller, to continue the investigation. That's how I envision it. It is a Imagine. long process no matter yes. what. Yes, yeah. and it's also happening simultaneously on Capitol Hill, too. Right. So. Separate, separate investigations. Separate. Um, the FBI, though, no political party affiliation. They're just beholden to and the although, although, although they are beholden technically to the Trump administration they're, because they're they fall under try DOJ. To fire, try to fire yes. him and see what happens. Okay, but, <laughs> but as an agent, you take an oath of office to the Constitution of the United States, not to a party. So, and there's and that's the reason why the director of the FBI has always typically a had a ten-year term, so that you're not so that you're overlapping right. administrations, of course, unless you get fired. But there's a lot going on. And I would argue, honestly, and and I'll get I'll never win another primary again anyway, so it doesn't matter. Um, never but say I would never, argue though. I would argue that that the Senate's investigation right now, while it is while it is run by political parties, has been impressively bipartisan um, and and this is again this is and it's run by a man who I voted against twice as a as an, he's my senator from North Carolina but I've had a lot of respect for the ways Richard Burr has handled it Mark Warner from Virginia um, the ranking Democrat on that committee so uh, um, it's it, regardless of, of what's going on we're going to be hearing about it and talking about it for a long time to come because these FBI investigations these special prosecutor investigations um, go on for years sometimes. Watergate went on for over three years, I think, before they actually did anything with it. So uh, Jeffrey Ringel and Oz Sultan, 
Thanks for being back. Thank Oz. Thanks for joining us, Jeffrey. Thank you all for joining us today. We went a little bit over because we figured, you know, we gave you about five minutes of silence there in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> we give you a little bit more at the end. We're so. gonna get the insight. Yeah. Well, we well you can actually hear us and and just pulling in a few commenters here. Uh, Mickey uh, Alessi says leaking a crime is bad, but committing a crime is even worse. Much much worse. Um, and Janet Marie Vercelli says, I thank goodness for the leakers. They are the patriots exposing the crooks. So it's a debatable point. It's a, yeah, we'll, we'll keep going on. Come back, Mickey. Uh, we'll talk more this about it. And Janet, is not over. Uh, nope. But I want to end with this comment from Patricia Subic. She said, and this is uh, in relation to Deepak, who was our centering force we need this again. morning. Um, we are living in uncertainty and bewilderment worldwide. How should we send positive thoughts and prayers to the people? come back. We're going to do that every week here, as usual, on Bold TV, where we are tackling positive, like, issues, but we're doing it positively. Quite the segue, girl. Quite the segue into our closing. Join <laughs> us 9 o'clock on Tuesday morning for Bold Business, and we'll be back here 10 o'clock next Friday. Have a great holiday weekend. We'll see you here next week. Thanks, guys. Bye. Thanks,